Hi, friends, and welcome to the Oak Roots Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Myrick, and I'm going to get you into today's Your Story So Far episode as fast as I can. Before I do, uh, remember that I'm available to have this same kind of talk with you. We can take a couple of hours to walk through your life story so far, and then you can choose whether you want to keep it for yourself or have it published like this one. You can go to oakroots.net to see services available and what fees look like, or you can email me at sam at oakroots.net. All right, let's get into today's story. You know, my very earliest memory is not um, all that exciting to other people, I guess, but I remember... Uh, I was three years old and I was just standing on this very tall back porch in what would have been somewhere in Round Rock. I'm not from Round Rock, but, Mm. um, and my Labrador Ebony was there and I just remember looking out in the backyard. That's my first memory. Um, Okay. Yeah. If you're not from Round Rock, you were visiting... What, like family or family friends? or what, what do you think that place would have even been? Do you know? It was, I'm sort of, uh, it's a little confusing. I'm not from Round Rock, but we lived in Round Rock for like a year or a year and a half. So it was my house. Okay. But it was, I have very few memories of, it's not like that was my upbringing. It was this yeah. like sort of blip. Uh, what year of that was your life that you were there for a year or so? Do you know from hearing from family? Were were you three or four or older? I was three for sure. So 1985, probably something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so that experience for you um, in Round Rock, is that the only oh, thing you remember from like that, that year, that season? No, I remember, uh, I mean, that was such a small part of my childhood, but I remember like a giant sand pile that we would play on. I remember... Uh, there was a little bicycle with a basket and a doll that like rode in the bicycle with me that I really loved. And there was a skateboard that we liked to, you know, skate. I'm doing using quotation marks, skateboard, right. we'd skateboard around on, on the driveway. Yeah, things like that. But um, you were there for your family was there for a like a work change for your parents or. Yeah, my dad, uh, I don't remember exactly where he worked. He's an engineer, uh, but I do remember he worked like 12-hour days, seven days a week for a long time because there was some sort of strike. And so my birth was scheduled because they were going to let him have one day off for the birth. And I do remember that. And I remember him, I had pneumonia at some point. And... I rem- I can remember my my mom stayed home with Natalie and Robert and my dad brought me to the hospital and I remember backing out of the garage and mom like waving worriedly and then dad calling mom when we got to the hospital like finding a phone yeah calling her when we got to the hospital and then they put me in a giant tub to get my fever down I remember those things okay just flashes yeah all right. And and then once that period or that season is over for you and your family, 
where do you move to or what's the kind of the next stage of life for you? Yeah, we moved back to where I was born. So for many generations going back, I'm from the Golden Triangle area of Southeast Texas. So between Beaumont, Port Arthur and Orange. Um, And so I was born in Port Arthur and uh, lived in the area except for that year or so. And then we just went back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not super eventful. Just, yeah, yeah. went back home. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you think about childhood, like with most of it or almost all of it be, being there, what are some of the things that, that come to mind? Whether it's, it's family mm-hmm. dynamics um, mm-hmm. of, of the five of you? like in your immediate family or extended family, if you've had all of these generations there in the area, who were you as, as a kid? Yeah. Well, it's so funny. It's, it's so funny to look back, right. As an adult, because it's the water you swim in until it's not anymore. Mm-hmm. So now it feels distinctive it, in my, it wasn't in my awareness growing up. Right. Like what I, what stands out to me now um, being from a refinery town, being from a very football-centered town, uh, being in super, super, super tight-knit but homogenous community, being from the coasts, from a port town, you know, like all these things that sort of like color the subculture you're in. I was in college before I realized that like not everybody had a football team where you like just the whole town followed them around wherever yeah. they were all the time. Uh, things like that. Um, I uh, grew up really close to my family, including my extended family uh, that my moppy and poppy moved in with our family when I was like maybe 11 or so. And um, so that's your mom's parents or your dad's parents? Mm-hmm. My mom's parents. Mom's, okay. um, and so Moppy, Moppy died just a couple of years ago now, but Moppy lived with my parents from then until that time. And Poppy, they both moved in with us because he had uh, terminal cancer. And, and so, um, so we went through, that was a big formative part of my like middle school years was that sort of being a, a, sort of central part of my life as like a sixth or seventh grader was um, watching my poppy process his own upcoming death. And Mm. he did it with such grace um, that it was very difficult, but was I really, if you can have a positive first experience with death, like I don't yeah. know that it could have been a healthier sort of way to experience that. But, um, but all this to say, Moppy and Poppy were were huge. Moppy, I consider Moppy part of my nuclear family, mm-hmm. and then I had uh, cousins and an aunt who lived down the street. We were all you know together for birthdays and holidays and. Um, my Moppy was a teacher in our school district. My mom eventually was, and then went on to be a professor in the area. My my dad was on the school board and was a city councilman. 
my other wow. puppy was a city councilman. My other grandpa was the mayor. So it was a lot of like community investment, community leadership yeah. that I think was framed up my um, understanding of what it means to sort of, I can't think of the less dry way to put this, but sort of what it means to be a citizen, right? Sort of yeah. Like, so yeah, be involved with your community. Mm-hmm. That was a big deal. Yeah, that that makes a ton of sense. Like the, the, I imagine also maybe like the concept of of service mm-hmm. is kind of related to all that um, mm-hmm. work. I, I I grew up in a, a small town um, where yeah, I, I had multiple family members that like my, my grandmother was in charge of the library board, and my grandfather was on the school board, and my dad was the chief deputy of the sheriff's department and, and there's the and, and my my mother ended up working in the tax assessor's office and now yeah. is the tax assessor of of the parish she lives in and um and and I've I've only thought about some of that the last several years myself is like this this mm-hmm. concept of public service mm-hmm. or like working mm-hmm. kind of for the greater good yeah being something that that feels a little bit like kind of in my in my bones or in my DNA uh, and I, and I, I think it's part of what can make vocation or identity stuff a little tricky is like when you're, there's, there's pros and cons to that, right? Like if your life yeah. feels like it's got that much weight or you're in a line of, of leaders or whatever. Sure. Sure. So are those the kinds of things you don't really, you didn't really start to process or, or maybe understand till college and adulthood is, is kind of what you were born into? You know, I think the main things... The leadership stuff, I think, has always been something I've that's made me proud of my family members. Okay. Uh, the workaholism has been more mm. of the like that's been the association with those things, or and how different people in my family, including myself, employed right the what the service looks like, how it plays out in our lives. That's been more of the thing that, as an adult, I've had to be like, wait a minute. You know, like, okay. hmm. but the thing that felt most distinct, uh, and I'm only, re- I'm only reluctant to bring this up because it could be a whole podcast and I would like <laughs> okay. for it not to be in this particular case. But, um, I remember my college roommates who I went to school in Belmont university in Nashville, Tennessee, and my roommates were from like California, Tennessee, Indiana, Kentucky. And I remember them looking at my yearbook and falling on the ground laughing, like they mm. could not stop laughing because um, our, and remember this would have been the year 2000. So the converse, so we're, our mascot is the Indians okay. and the conversation around that has, has shifted nationally. Um, and I, you know, have strong opinions about how it should change. And yeah. da, da, da. At the time, the distinction that they were they were laughing about was that there were the whole yearbook is like a celebration of people dressing up in these like intricate, like very intricate, very lifted up, uh, very looked highly upon like outfits for the cheerleaders and the drill team and the and the da 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 and everything. And it's like this, just the whole thing is like a celebration of this very very intense set of traditions uh-huh. that I just thought every town yeah. had. And they thought it was the most hilarious thing they'd ever seen. And I was like, what's going on here? Right. So that was like my first clue that something, you know, about my upbringing was 
was, you know, we all have our distinctions, but that was one of them. And then the other one uh, was that we got into conversations early on my freshman year about people we knew who either like had died or had cancer. And I just like was going down the list, like, Oh, my mm. friend, so-and-so, my friend, so-and-so, my, you know, my mom's yeah. friend and da, 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 and and they got really quiet then, but didn't laugh. And I, I remember that very specifically that they were like, Carrie, we don't know. We don't know that many people who have died of cancer. Yeah. And I knew that I was from Cancer Alley and I knew that refineries are not, you know, widely renowned right. like, like sources of health and prosperity yeah, right. uh, for your, your body and your immune system. But that, that started to hit home like, oh, okay. Yeah. There's a reality to um, yeah. how many people I love that have gotten sick or passed on from mysterious forms of cancer um mm-hmm. that yeah that, that just wasn't a part of their life does that right. i would say also and i'll stop after this natural disasters i kind of was i knew that not everybody like yeah. dealt with hurricanes and tornadoes all the time you know everybody has their own stuff uh earthquakes or whatever it might be uh but I had learned to have kind of like a nonchalant attitude about major natural mm. disasters. Not not an uncaring, but just like a, oh, this is just what you do. Yeah. This is just how it is. And I had to learn that different people had different types of exposure to disasters where maybe they would need to um maybe they didn't know what to do, or maybe they mm-hmm. didn't know how that goes, or how to help, or how to even process it, or things like that. And yeah. And so yeah. Do you think that uh, as you've thought more or realized that kind of thing as an adult, um, I know you, you said earlier, like it was the water I swam in. Like we can't know when we're going through it any other different. Like I totally agree with that. I think that's true of, you know, of everyone, whatever their story is. Yeah. But do you look back now and and think any differently about parts of your childhood or adolescence, like mm-hmm. um, wondering if there was, and it could be good or bad. Like it, it could be trauma mm-hmm. that was inflicted. We overuse that word, I guess some, but, but like, t- you know, tough things that you realized you dealt with earlier or more often than others. And yeah. I, I only ask that because this is the kind of thing I'm trying to figure out about my own childhood and adolescence, mm-hmm. like to mm-hmm. what extent I had a, a quote unquote normal one. And, wow. and in what senses I kind of, grew up or was forced to grow up or expected to grow up a lot mm-hmm. faster yeah. than, than most people have to like, I, does any of that play in for you? Like you're, oh you're seeing natural disasters and, and f- family, like a, a beloved family member living in the home with you and, and slowly dying. And like, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts about th- that whole period and, and what was different for you? Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about this kind of thing so much lately. Um, not just in conversations, but even a book I just read called Lost and Found by Katherine Schultz, where she, hmm. um, her dad, as an adult, her dad slowly dies as she also meets the love of her life. Okay. And she's reflecting on uh, where I'm going with this, which is this very both and this like, like, I think yeah. I, I, I so commonly want my joys to sort of like, 
be pure and untainted by any anxiety or difficulty that I have. Like if something amazing happens, I like just want whatever troubles I have to sort of suddenly disappear so I can just soak in whatever mountaintop moment I happen to have, right? Whether it's a trip I'm taking that's exciting or some wonderful news I get or whatever. It's like, I don't want to, it's, I don't know. It's, it's the struggle that I've had, uh, in the past, um, or if something's really sad and hard or dissonant in my life and there's something beautiful, it's like, I don't always know how to sort of hold both at the same time. But mm-hmm. I think I'm, I think some of my growth lately is, is getting there and, and plays into what strikes me when you ask that question, which is like every single one of those examples is both, right? Like okay. I'm really so grateful and, and, proud, I don't think prideful, but proud that like, um, with natural disasters and dealing with death and, uh, and weird, you know, different, unusual, perhaps ages and stages. And, um, what was the other example I used? Just, oh, and even just, uh, this like football community, um, there, there were, you know, it's wonderful to be a part of a community that's tight knit and has incredible spirit. And I could call someone up from Port Natchez or Groves right now that had never met me before. And if I said I was in trouble, they were like, come help me. <laughs> right. Like there's something that I love about being raised in a place where that's the most familiar type of community to me. Yeah. Um, and when I grew, you know, grew up, um, had to grapple with like, well, what does it mean to, you know, I had a couple of friends in high school who moved from out of town and that's an incredibly difficult position to be in if you right. aren't born there. So then it's like, Oh, well that's a, that's not okay. So how do you, how do you grapple with like inside versus outside? Um, and then with natural disasters, of course it sucks and it's traumatic and, and later, as hurricanes have sort of picked up more, luckily, most of my upbringing was about evacuations. I was in my 20s before it started to do real infrastructure damage to my area um, off and on. Uh, but I think it. I think you grow up with a sense of um, – my dad used to talk about how we walk around with illusions of control – Okay. And part of that yeah. is just to sort of like get through the day and like our senses have to sort of frame up a day in order for us to function in it. But that natural disasters have a really great way and a very equalizing way of like humbling you and reminding you like there's a lot that's not in your control. And maybe that sounds dark or broken, but I think it's both broken and really beautiful, right? It's sort yeah. of both at the same time. And, and it kind of keeps you in check. And I would say similarly, like I grew up in a family where one side of my family, there was a lot of stability and the other side of my family, there was a lot of trauma. There was one side where there was a lot of death, another side where there was a lot of drugs. Uh, Mm. And being a pastor and even just my personality growing up, it's like, even though in my own livelihood, people are meant to trust me with their 
deepest, darkest secrets and I keep confidence and I sort of see the lows and the highs in various people's lives and it's a privilege, there's still the people who meet you and think like, oh, you must be sheltered. I better not cuss around you. I better not do this or that around you. And it's very, it's kind of like entertaining sometimes uh, how that works. That said, um, I think that my upbringing prepared me to sort of make choices with open eyes about the kind of lifestyle I want to live, even if it appears to be naive or sheltered to people. And then at the same time, it has uh, not at all made me naive or sheltered. It has prepared me to live in a world that's broken. And I think that allows me to sort of look it in the face when things are hard and also to like look joy in the face and to absorb it well and to, and to, not miss out on, yeah, I think yeah. life is fuller because of those things, right? So what kinds of things, I, I'm glad you brought that up, or like, that, that's exactly what I was about to ask was um, mm. a sense of hope, a sense of joy, I, I think can sometimes be the um, the loss uh, if, if, there can, if there can be too much too soon. Um, all of the positive things you just said about like, well, I understood how the world works and some mm-hmm. things are broken and like, that's true. But, um, but, but balancing that with like, what, what were the things that were quote unquote good or um, yeah. made you happy or gave you life or something like that, that, that gave you what you now seem to have as a balance of, of mm-hmm. those two things. Mm-hmm. What, what was the beauty in the midst of the, of the brokenness for you as a, as an yeah. adolescent? You know, actually, this sort of like circles even back again to your question about um, what was distinct. Because growing up, I was solidly unaware that anything was broken after everything I just said. Okay. <laughs> right? I was like, um, I I grew up in a very my parents. My dad had like a really really rocky terrible childhood and my mom had a sort of like leave it to beaver childhood and sort of Hmm. when they put those things together dad's resolve to sort of have his kids have the opposite experience and my mom's resolve for us to have a similar experience is what she had right like sort of and then you add moppy to the mix who reinforces the whole thing right um meant like i i felt completely um, safe and sturdy growing up. Mm. I, to this day, uh, my family lives all over the place. We're extremely different in personality from one another, but I like probably my favorite thing in the world is to like, if I sit in a living room long enough with my family, we will giggle. We will giggle so hard that we will send somebody running to the bathroom, trying not to, be yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. and that has as far back as I can remember, as soon as we were all able to kind of hang out and converse, that has got to be one of the best things in life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it takes that type of, you know, we're not the same and we're not this and we're not that we're very different. We have lots of different opinions and preferences, but we've always had, you know, every now and then, we, we always have had this dynamic where we kid and we kid and we kid and 
um, you can't do that without a sense of some kind of sense of safety and trust. Sure. That's been built in like from forever. Yeah. And uh, boy, am I sure that my whole life has been set up in yeah. a in a way that not everybody's gets to because of that. Um, yeah. Hmm. So oh, that that's all really. Uh, I used the word beautiful a minute ago, but that's beautiful to hear. And mm. like, I'm, I'm happy for you that, that you got something that, that feels like it was a, a pretty healthy balance of real life, hard things, loss mixed yeah. with uh, joy and, and giggling and, and a family mm. that um, in a sense, like your immediate family that it like stays together and even brings in your grandparents. And then in this like wider sense, your larger family, extended mm-hmm. family all stays kind of in each other's lives and, and, and mm-hmm. gives you that. I'm curious what the ways are, like usually these happen in childhood and adolescence. Like what are the the ways that you were uniquely formed though? Like what what were the, you've talked a lot about your, your family and the community you grew up in. Yeah. What, what were your hobbies? What were your interests? Like, what were the things that made you, like you just said, different than the rest of your family? Yeah, this is not a hard read. Uh, <laughs> if if you're listening to this and you've met me before, you'll be like, why is Carrie talking about football? <laughs> <laughs> uh, when's she going to talk about singing and dancing? <laughs> That's like what we're all thinking and what I'm trying to get you to to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, in fact, I stopped going to football games after the last one in high school. I was like, I'm at my quota. I'm at my lifetime quota. Okay. I don't have to do it anymore. Bye, everybody. Um, uh, have fun. <laughs> and so, um, I've gone to nephews, my nephew's game, you know, games uh, that I will happily go to. So... Yeah, I, as far back as I can remember, including when I was three in Round Rock, I, that's when I started dance lessons. Uh, my my sister, <laughs> um, when I was literally, you know, just born and would sit in my crib, uh, my even back then, my sister would get irritated with my singing because she would like at two years old, the story is that she would go get in bed with my parents in the morning and just like so annoyed because I would just wake up and sit in my crib and sing to my baby dolls. And, and so my parents would just let me, you know, they're like, she's clearly content. Just like sing, humming and singing to her baby dolls. So they would just let me do it. And Natalie would try to drown out the noise. (laughs) This is a lifeline. Both of those trends. Uh I get up and start singing and Natalie wants to not be anywhere near where that is. Where Uh, are my noise canceling headphones? But that didn't exist in the mid eighties. That did not exist. Yeah. 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 So, so that be, I would say being in a town where uh, the arts were not the thing, you know, Um, and that, that was an interesting way to grow up where, um, my, I, my interests were nurtured. Uh, you know, I was able to take dance and I was able to be in choir and show choir and plays and, uh, voice lessons and, you know, 
was able to be involved. But when I went to college at a school that's known for music and art, and I very intentionally chose it because it didn't have a football team okay. on top of everything. I mean, you really there were, were many- sick of, of it. I was over. Oh, for, yeah, I was okay. over. I was done with it. Um, there were many factors. That was a big plus, right? right. That was the cherry on top. And uh, I was like, it felt like I had entered an alternate universe when I went to college because suddenly everybody around me was interested in music and songwriting and mm-hmm. and I mean just art creativity period. And I had never been in an environment where that was the central culture and oh man i'm so glad i'm so glad that i got to spend years you know in an environment learning to be an adult around other people who like whose hearts are sort of brought to life by that kind of Mm -hmm. uh, those kinds of interests um but growing up i had really really great friends um and we either sort of loved to hate to be in a football town because we were all, you know, either dorky or nerdy. Cause I was, I, I, um, am proud that I was nerdy. And, and so my nerdy friends and my, my theater friends and my choir friends, uh, you're kind of in the minority a little bit, but it's glorious. <laughs> it's sort of yeah. like fun, fun to, Fun to hate. It's not real hate, right? It was sort of like fun to buck the system a little bit, but with right. these like beautiful life-giving interests. It's not like yeah. – it's, re- it's rebellion, but like in the most healthy possible way, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I completely understand that. I I, um, I I think about this a lot. I feel like I, I think about this some on Friday nights when we – our family still goes to like a, a football game. My daughter's a junior in high school. It's a big deal. We yeah. want to be around, even though we don't really care that much about football. And um, she's just down there in the student section, like she's not a on dance line or cheerleader or band. But 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 we see all those other little like groups, you, you know, yeah. and like and the way they function in the community that they have. And and Kim and I have talked some about that, how it feels like it's it's like a safer and ultimately more productive form of rebellion or like being different like all teens have something biological that wants to make them push back wants to be unique wants to be different Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and like i i I find myself asking neither one of us were jocks so like i I find myself wondering like well what do the football players do to like be different like if they're doing the thing that feels like the i don't want to i don't want to use like judgmental language like cliche or i don't know like if they're if they're doing Mm. the thing that feels like normal like they're the ones we're all there to kind of watch or support like what does their rebellion look like or what is their way of being different um look like because it's it's obvious what the the what the bands is and, and like their sense of community or what the drum line uh that's like there's another part of band or like you know the the, the different groups that are um that are, that are present there because for me i feel like that was church which it's a weird thing to feel like mm-hmm. church was rebellion, but like to do it the yeah. way I did it, like with the intensity I did it was not normal. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, you know, it's funny. Cause I like use the word rebellion lightly. Cause I think that's the first time I've ever even used the word rebellious to describe my adolescence. 
I don't normally think of it that way, but it is an interesting concept. What you're talking well, about. Um, I mean, well, other words, you know, different, unique. Rebellion does sound like you're pushing back against something. I guess sure. what we're both talking about is, is actually kind of finding something that's your own. Right. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. Well, and in that case, I think, I mean, man, the, I can't speak for the football players, but they get a, a lot of glory, you know, in my town. It's like, yeah. so if it's framed more as like something that's your own, then... I mean, that's a high reward system right there. Yeah. At so they, least get, they get jackets that, that we don't have. The, well, like, and well, like, I don't have in my in closet. My town, I mean, that's the, you, people are, you get signage and like you get people like half worshiping you and you get people. <laughs> I'm, yeah. hesitant, I'm hesitant to like knock on my hometown very much because the people who raised me and the people who are there, football players and otherwise, I find to generally be like really kind-hearted, lovely people. So I, I yeah. don't want to sound like I'm sort of minimizing uh, or even understanding some of the experiences that they chose that I didn't. But that said, um, man, I mean, yeah, if you're a football player for PNG, <laughs> yeah, you you. I mean, our mascot has a giant portrait at the Dairy Queen. Like uh-huh. every year, right? There are like rituals and parties that, like, like people, grown people, take off work on Friday afternoons to go to the pep rally at the high school. Like, okay, so like, it's full on. Like, it's one of the cities or areas that's like a, a Friday night lights yes. kind of experience. Like, oh, it is yes. Dylan yes. from. The, the yes. TV show, or you something are a like celebrity. Okay. Like yeah. you are, a, you're a celebrity if you are part of that enterprise. And so, mm-hmm. uh, when the coach would walk out for our pep rallies on Fridays, it would be on a red carpet, oh. and the cheerleaders would do flips all the way down either side of the carpet that the okay. coach would walk down. Is this kind of painting a picture? Yeah, it's quite a picture. <laughs> It's not something I experienced. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so it I, it never occurred to me like what the motive of the football players was because it's, they seem to be in right. a really sweet. <laughs> yeah. They get to, they're on top of the world right now. Yeah. Um, I yeah. don't know about you. Like what's interesting about that for me growing up in a small town is I, I've kept up with, with some of them. Like it was a small enough town that we were all. I feel like I was friends with, with them, like with everyone, like yeah. there, there weren't the, and so we've kept up and, you know, in touch online or when I go back a few times a year, I'll bump into somebody I went to high school with at Brookshire's or, or whatever. Um, yeah. And um, they are, what's interesting is like the people that stayed around still became like normal pretty great people who now like who took on all of the like responsibilities and things that uh like a lot of them are like deacons and sunday school teachers and stuff in the church and i'm like i just i think it's fascinating that a lot that the the a lot of us who were the creative ones or the or whose faith was like important to us in different ways when we were younger or um i don't know they're like the people who just who who like are like a country music song where they like have to get out as fast as they can of the small town. And then there are other people who like are the other kind of country song, which is, isn't my small town really great. 
and like, and they all, they were partying and doing things I would, wouldn't have done in high school. And now they're like, there's adults who have their own kids who are, and they're probably yeah. wishing, hoping that they're not partying and like, and trying to, <laughs> and to get them, like, why can't my kids all go to church the way that Myrick boy did uh, when I was growing <laughs> up? Or something? Um, so every, it's like the grass is always greener kind of idea. Yeah. Like there are plenty, there are so many people who it's more common in my town that you stay, right. You, mm-hmm. And plenty of them, as far as I can tell, are really happy and living. Yeah. Wonderful, fulfilling lives. And some of them are awesome. And probably some of them are, you know, could be better. And then those of us who left, it's exactly the same. Yeah. Some of us could be better and some of us are awesome. Maybe we all trade places in that depending on the season we're in. But I, yeah, I haven't, I used to, you know, when I was younger, there was that, like, I remember that adage of like, well, one day, you know, you're yeah. going to be their boss, you know, they're going to be uh-huh. like making fries at some yeah. fast yeah. restaurant or whatever. And I don't know, I don't need the whole thing to be zero sum. Like I don't. Right. Yeah. I don't. Can't we all do well? <laughs> yeah. Why don't we just all have nice lives? I mean, yeah. I don't mean nice, like pretending everything's nice. Right. But like, I don't need to wish somebody poorly because they want something different yeah. or have a different life than me. Like, I hope that I hope that um, I don't need that. That's yeah. sounds really sad to me. I think and I if you that. are if you're doing fries at the whatever, you know, fast, like, I hope that you're still happy. You yes. Know? <laughs> and thank you. And thank you so much. Because I love eating fries. And yes. Um, so, so does, um, do you struggle at all with any like big fish, small pond moving out into the world? And because I guess one thing I think about with growing up in small town is the people that stay oftentimes get to like they were the big fish in the small pond and they continue to get to be the big fish and they become the <laughs> president of the bank and and the and whatever they take over mom's business mom and dad's business but like yeah. i know i struggled coming out of a small town where i had a lot of success mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i formed a path where a lot of people did know me and respected me or um mm-hmm. like the starting over in yeah. college or like out in the world like what was that experience like for you uh, oh my gosh. nobody knows me or knows how great my that production I was a part of my junior year was or that mm-hmm. I won this or won that yeah um oh my goodness there's, mm-hmm. there's so much <laughs> you can take a minute the, <laughs> I think it's just, as we were talking about earlier, there's like so much good stuff and so much difficult uh, difficulties that came all at once that it's taken me, I think, many, many years to, and I'll probably, just like with any big season, you know, you keep gaining insight as you grow older. Um, being the first to leave the state, uh of anyone I knew in my family period ever was, I think now back then I saw it as a personal choice. And now when I, I'm so easily critical of myself, I'm an Enneagram one all the way. Right. When I, for a long time, I've looked back and been critical of the way that I handled that, the way I processed that when I first 
left, uh, and I'll say more about that in a second, but um, now with some time, I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like that was a big deal that I, mm-hmm. I was like 17 and decided, you know what, not only am I going to leave this town, I'm going to like go somewhere that no one in my family has ever been to. Right. Uh, in a in a type of school that no one's ever attended that my dad is like trying really really hard <laughs> to like be supportive and get his head around a liberal arts education and okay, yeah. you know my mom's trying not to cry every time while she's like I support this I'm so proud of yeah. you but also she's like so sad you know? right um and I know to some extent that's every parent but when it's not part of the culture you grow up in and the people around you are not leaving. Um, uh, yeah. I, anyway, I think that I now I've I've become more proud of that decision. I didn't have any feelings about it for a long time because I just thought of it like, oh, this is just what I'm going to do. Uh, and it was hard, but I didn't think of it as something to be like, hey, you know, I'm taking a big leap here. I never I never thought of it as something to be proud of, and and so I I carry that and. And I say that because I struggled when I when I got there. Um, I struggled and thrived, and I and the ways that I struggled was that exactly the ways that you just sort of uh, foreshadowed, right? Like I was around so much talent, it broke my brain. You know, the the turn at the time, I don't know if it's still true, Belmont's grown so much, but at the time turnover was high for the student population because people would like sign record contracts and drop out. Okay. Yeah. Right. So it wasn't like people <laughs> weren't talented. Like you're yeah. just like around intensely talented people. And I was like, I just I was shocked. I was not shocked that that existed not shocked in in like a i needed to be cut down to size way but just like being in an environment like that it was a bunch of football players before and now it's right. like, like like that was back when american idol was really new and they yeah. did their own audition at just our school right okay. like that it kind just of makes deal. the this just for an efficiency standpoint this makes sense to be right there on the campus yeah Yeah, music business is a really popular major there and i remember everybody who knew about contracts like they were warning people like don't do the auditions because the contracts suck it wasn't like it it wasn't like oh my gosh american idol is coming it was like people were giving really standard professional advice about whether or not you should like yeah it or not like it probably looked different than any other like stadium or arena in like big cities, other parts of the country for there to be like Maybe. that level of knowledge there. About. Right. I felt like, I feel like growing up in the nineties um, and early two thousands, like in the church and around contemporary Christian music or stuff like, yeah, I feel like if you ever found out where someone, where a singer or someone in a band had gone to college, like I feel like nine times out of 10, it was Belmont. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so I, yeah. So I know, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, so there was there was that element for sure where like I was very uh this will not feel believable to you but but in this way I was very shy. I would sing in choir but I wouldn't try out for the solos. I even had a choir director. It's funny. I didn't think about it then. I think about it now. 
I had a choir director who would like walk around and listen to everybody's individual voices sometimes as we were working a song. Mm-hmm. And I remember him pointing me out to the class, like, you know, solo trials are, you know, trials are coming up. It would be great for people who haven't tried out before to try it. Like for instance, Carrie, Carrie was sounding really lovely today. And I okay. nodded my head and then it, it literally did not occur to me that that was him saying I should try. I didn't, try I didn't even, it did not hit me to try out for the solo. I was like, Oh, that's nice that he said my name. Yeah. I'm not, it doesn't go any further. doesn't need to go any further than that. It was not a consideration. Right. So, so there was this element of after I graduated kind of looking back and accusing myself of being cowardly, you know, or thinking I didn't take full advantage, but as I've gotten older, I look back and I'm like, how is it? How, I don't know. Um, I mean, maybe there's more I could have done, but I feel pretty sure that I, my friends who went into music as a business, I'm pretty sure that was not, would not have been right for me. Um, I'm not sure what I think I should have done that would have really changed a lot substantially about my life other than just being mean to myself about struggling with that. So, um, you know, and maybe it would, maybe it it would have, maybe it wouldn't have, but, but then I like, I often say that college was where, where I learned to be an adult, like being away at college created such like so many people experience this tight net friend group, people I'm friends with to this day and we took care of each other and we have all these wonderful, ridiculous college stories and we still check in on each other to this day. And then to fast forward, when I wound up at seminary in California, I say that's where I learned in community the kind of adult I wanted to be. And okay. right. And so the in terms of like the struggling and the thriving at Belmont, it was definitely being down on myself for not taking more risks musically, but then also learning maybe that getting being hard on myself for that reason is unnecessary. That's taken a a lot, a long time. And then otherwise just being like, man, I'm so grateful that I was formed by the people around me. Yeah. Yeah. What did you, what did you study there? Or, or and it is what you went to college to study, what you wound up graduating, in, like kind of what was the, the academic mm-hmm. part of college? So I didn't, I, I have always had a lot of different interests. And I, when I decided to go to Belmont, I was trying to have my cake and eat it too. And I kind of did, um, or maybe I really did. I I got into their musical theater program, which was competitive. You know, I was, I was very excited about that, but I wasn't sure if that's what I wanted to do. Um, I liked singing and dancing. I sort of liked acting. So I was literally trying to like, just combine as many things. Like, like, I guess that's musical theater, but like my style isn't always like landing there anyway. But then I also got into the honors program. So I was going to be able to do this like really great nerdy interdisciplinary curriculum with a small group of people and you could design your own major. And so I was like, Ooh, the world is my oyster if I go, because even if I leave musical theater, I still like have all these options of what to study. And 
I ultimately missed Spanish a lot. I had this life-changing experience in high school with some folks who had helped me start to learn Spanish. So I found myself kind of aching for that. And I accidentally picked up a second major in Spanish because I just kept going with it. Um, and then, but my first major was born out of a um, increasing interest in human rights. And I became very excited about the international justice mission and okay. human rights work overseas and designed a public relations major with an international studies emphasis um, with the idea that I was going to like go do human rights work after college. And I was able to intern for the international justice mission in DC okay. and then finished off my Spanish major in Seville and then came back and wrapped up my, my final requirements in Nashville. Um, yeah. So, so it was, a, it was at the international justice mission that I was around people who were getting joint JDs and MDivs. And that's when I started asking questions about why would you study theology? Like, why would you get an MDiv? Why would you do that? Okay. Um, yeah. I want to, I want to back up for a second. There's one thread we haven't kind of pulled at yet from like up to this point in college mm -hmm. or late in college. And you've already alluded to things like, um, that you're currently a pastor and I know you have been for a while and that you went yeah. to seminary and Belmont's a Christian university, but like, what's the, where does faith play in to, to mm -hmm. life for you? Like yeah. when does that come into the picture for you? If it's always there, when does it become personal for you? Like what gets you with everything you've shared so far to wind up at a Christian liberal arts university instead yeah, of yeah. one where you could do musical theater anywhere or mm -hmm, in the path mm -hmm. you've, you've taken, you know, kind of the back half of, of your life so far. Yeah. You know, it was interesting because Belmont lost their Baptist association as I started there. Okay. Um, but, but they remained very uh, Christian centered, I guess. Um, like I saw Brennan Manning, Brennan Manning came and like spoke to us and, Right. Mm -hmm. And there were all sorts of, they had a really cool convocation um, program where like you couldn't graduate unless you went sort of exposed yourself to all these different volunteer opportunities and musical opportunities and spiritual things. And um, so anyway, uh, growing up, I grew up in a, a, man, I'm classically millennial because uh, even as a person of faith, it was all very eclectic. Yeah. Um, my poppy had started an Episcopal church plant in my town. So I was christened as an Episcopalian. But then I think from that point forward was Southern Baptist until my sister started refusing to go. Um, <laughs> man, she's really like playing a role today. <laughs> um, um, and so then those of us who were going to keep going went to Disciples of Christ Church. Okay. And so faith, to be more substantive about it. So I hopped around, you know, Methodist and blah, blah, blah. I really, at the risk of sounding too cliche, I guess, I don't know. Um, I, I have wrestled with my faith. I've struggled with my faith. But I, I don't remember a time where I didn't centrally identify as a person of faith. Like, I don't think mm -hmm. there was as far back as I can go. 
um, you know, for all the changes and all the, the, yeah, the various expressions of it over time, um, it always meant something to me. So like by the time I was a teenager, I remember I would go wake up my parents on Sunday mornings and if they were like not going to get up to go to church, I would just go without them. You know, like it was very, um, a very central part of my life, but, um, you know, to some people church doesn't mean anything about whether or not you're like sincerely spiritual. And so I would say similarly, like at home, you know, my, my, uh, my dad, I remember when I would go to youth group, I would sort of come out of youth group and kind of maybe want something more intellectual sometimes. Uh, I had some wonderful mentors at my youth group that I'm so super grateful for, but there were, they weren't the teachers most of the time I would come out and my dad would like find like radio shows with adults talking about theology. So when he would pick me up from youth group, he would let me listen to what the adults were talking about theologically. Like I was always really trying to search for in my prayer life and in reading scripture. And, you know, it was, it was a big deal. Yeah. I don't know if that's a very interesting answer, but, um, but what's maybe sure. the most interesting part of that, Sam, is that it never occurred to me to go into ministry ever until I was at the International Justice Mission and was like, okay. why would you even go to seminary to these people who were, yeah. were in it? I was like 20 okay. years old, never thought about it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's plenty of, the, um, I think it is interesting. And, and it also makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and, and is a story that I, feel like I hear a lot from friends or from family. Um, Mm. Not, not necessarily mine. Like mine is almost no church experience. Like just every now and then like Easter, Christmas kind of stuff till I'm like 12. And then it's full bore every Wednesday, twice on Sunday, Southern Baptist. Like, but I Mm. didn't have the moving around and like the different expressions really play out for me until I was older. Um, So, Mm -hmm. so like, I I get it. Um, Like all of what you were, maybe some of what you were going through experiencing or being exposed to different things, um, you know, as a child and as an adolescent is what really happened for me in my like late teens and, and up to mid twenties or whatever. Um, And who knows what, like, there's no right or wrong experience there. I'm a little like, Honestly, I'll tell you, like, I, I would have liked yours, I, I think, in hindsight. Like, I wish I'd had some exposure to more and to different, you know, to different streams and, and things like that. Um, and I think some kinds of faith traditions are a little more hands off in the ways they probably should be with adolescence. Sure. Um, and, and not, you know, you wind up making a, a decision to pursue this kind of path or have a pull to this kind of path. I want you to talk about that. But but you get there on your own, uh, at least when you're a little closer to that, to 25 or 26, where we know our brains are fully developed. Uh, for me, it's at 14, I'm yeah. deciding what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And so, uh, and that w- there was a lot of like, whether it was 
whether it was intentional or not, there felt like there was like some pressure or some expectation from my mm-hmm. faith tradition and, and the local version of that, that I was a part of. So, um, so no, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I, it, it sounds great <laughs> to me. <laughs> so, so, so you, you have a faith, uh, you have one that's informed by a lot of different streams. Um, there's some element of that for you, even through college. Um, and then you, you start to think about vocation, career, or, or how you can step out into the world. So kind of pick up there. What is, <laughs> yeah, how, how do you wind up uh, going to, to seminary? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like I said, the, in 2003, I interned for IJM for International Justice Mission and started to have these conversations. Um, like, why would you study theology if you're going to be a lawyer? Like, you don't need it. What do you, you know? And they would talk with me about it being sort of this underlying meaning for them. They wanted to sort of have that. They wanted to be human rights lawyers. They wanted to work for places like IJM. And and it felt very meaningful to them to do these deep dives and be in a community and environment where people were wrestling with theology and faith and their belief. And I found it really compelling. I remember I remember talking to my brother, who was at Georgia Tech at the time. Different life, different college. And yeah. uh, he was majoring in computer science. and. Uh, we lived the closest to each other, right? From my whole of my whole family at the time, because it's like four hours from Nashville. Yeah. I called him up and was like, uh, "He'd always been interested in theology." I was like, "Hey, do you ever think about going to seminary?" He was like, "No." <laughs> He's like, "I can obviously just you know read theology books. Who needs you know who needs to go to okay. seminary?" And I was like, "Yeah." For some reason, that's not sitting with me. I, I really like the relational aspect of what it sounded like, where you're having conversations with people and learning from people who believed different things. I guess I'm hearing myself say that now, there's foreshadowing in that too. And yeah. uh, so I went to, um, after I got back from studying abroad, I went to my priests, and forgive me if I... Um, Sometimes, I may or may not struggle with with this one, but yeah. my who who was my mentor and um, uh, died uh, almost exactly two years ago, and and this this uh, is at an I, Anglican mm-hmm, community Thomas, that you yeah. that you find yourself in right in college mm-hmm. uh, and, yep. and post college, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Exactly. So I I had been super, super involved at, at St. Bartholomew's Episcopal and then later at Christ uh, the Redeemer. Um, and Thomas uh, and I were really, really close. He was the leader of our college group. I went to him and I was like, Thomas, I'm thinking about going to seminary when I graduate. I was going to graduate in December of 04. And uh, this is probably May or June. He was like, okay. Um, I said, yeah, I want to do this human rights work. And I think, you know, all the things that I had been talking about, like, I think it'll just be informative for me and be like 
you know, help me grow spiritually and like give me motive for this like call to do this nonprofit work. And he was like, yeah, uh, Carrie, you should go to seminary and it's like really obvious that you should be a pastor. Mm. And I laughed at him. He and I work well together, worked well together because I like when people are very direct with me. And, yeah. and he, he, I was like, no offense, but I would never do anything that insular. And mm. he was like, okay, well, why don't you pray about it? Just pray about it. And I was like, fine. Okay. Yeah. And literally for years, for no good reason, uh, years from that point, uh, he would call. I was like a teacher for a little while, saving money. Call, have you prayed about it? No, no, but I will. I'm obviously I will, Thomas. I'll I'll pray about. It. I just knew that it was going to be a dead end. It's so, hmm. oh my gosh, it's like so many people's story where they do a 180. I was halfway through my MDiv before I finally was like, Thomas, I'm gonna. I have. I'm gonna pray. I mean, yes, I'm gonna commit yeah. to this right now. You know, and I, and then almost immediately, I had one of the, one of the the handful of like really charismatic experiences I've had in prayer was when I prayed about it and it I felt a complete change of heart almost instantly hmm. and couldn't get enough pastory classes. I was already an MDiv student, yeah. but I was using my electives and going out of my way right? Um, and trying to figure out what did it look like for someone like me who most people didn't look at and go, oh yeah, she's probably a pastor. Um, what is that, you know, what does it mean to be hired and what does it mean to even take that on? And, you know, all these like sort of vocational identity questions started opening up at that point. But, but to answer your question, that's sort of, uh, where, where it took me. And, and similarly with dialogue, which became central to my call facilitating interfaith dialogue, I, was in seminary and didn't even know what that was. And it was like getting involved, being asked to be a part of that stuff and then it changing my life and then running toward it after that was all in the thick of those three years at Fuller. (laughs) So you, so you go there, you, you wind up there and at least uh, if I heard you correctly, maybe the first half of that program or so for you, your intention, it's not as much tied to, um, a role, a job, a vocation. It's more like a, a real interest in the education or the learning piece. Mm-hmm. Whatever I wind up doing, mm-hmm. I want a, a deeper knowledge base uh, related mm-hmm. to faith and theology. And it's yeah. only it's only after a few years of Thomas telling you that, and then you you finally starting to to ask that question, like what if or should I mm-hmm. or like become more open to it that you start to, to fill that sense of direction. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, let's talk about that for, for a little bit. Like what does, once you have that clarity or if maybe clarity is too strong a word, but you're at least like moving in that direction or down that path now, um, how does that start to look in life? Um, everything I'm curious about everything from like, what does your family think to, Mm. friends think and what um 
what kinds of things do you think you might do? Like just kind of walk me through the rest of your study and then, and then finding your place and your voice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, the big, the big thing looking back was that I felt really called to something related to dialogue and it was, it was so, it was new to me. It was new to the people around me that I was trying to get in on it. Um, I was sure it had something to do with my sense of call. And then I was sort of in a parallel way feeling called to pastoral work. And I was certain that they were related to each other in some way, but I had no idea, no clue how they related to each other. So I just kind of tried to lean into both at the same time and trust that if there was ever going to be a bleed over that it, it would just happen. And, and years later it did, but, um, (laughs) <laughs> I mean, this story is about meeting you in part, Sam. So. All right. I assumed that would happen at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, so I started with pastor stuff. I had also, before I moved to Pasadena, I felt strangely compelled, maybe not so strangely because it's a great place, to go to Austin. I mean, to the point that I remember telling my friend Bev, who lived in Austin before I did, like, maybe I should just move to Austin and not go to Fuller. And she was like, oh, you mean Fuller, your favorite seminary? That just, (laughs) (laughs) just like, she's like, Austin will still exist in three years. Like, go fulfill your dreams. (laughs) Like, like, and then, and then let's talk about Austin. Uh, And uh, and she she moved to D.C. while I was in seminary, but uh, but she was right. Austin still existed. So I was like also trying to figure out what does Austin have to do with all this? My uh, I would fly into Austin and like visit with different pastors every time I came in and try to get the lay of the land of like, am I supposed to do ministry here? What would this look like? What would it mean? And uh and spring break of, I think, my last year, Harris, my friend Harris, recommended that I talk to Don and my friend Matt mm-hmm. recommended that I talk to Sam Myrick. And when I went to email both of you to schedule a time, you curiously had the same Mosaic <laughs> Austin ending to your email addresses. So we all had like a laugh about it and decided to meet. All yeah. together at Progress Coffee downtown. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. um, I don't even know if I'm working on your answer anymore or my answer to your question anymore. Well, this is great. Yeah, I just I, I want you to talk about your your process. It's it's yeah. your life, and and you know the chronology and how things play <laughs> in to each other. Sure, sure. You did you did ask about like what friends thought and stuff. I mean, being in seminary, I don't think anybody thought it was. Like being in that community right. all the time, yeah. uh, living there, I think people were like, woohoo, great. And, and yeah. Fuller, Fuller was a place where I was really able to try leadership on for size. I was very lucky to um, lead our theology graduate union uh, with my uh, colleague Dave to represent Fuller more and more at dialogues across the country to, I mean, I I was, I was really uh, 
able to practice leadership in many ways and folks from different cultures and generations um, were extremely respectful and open to that. And that was such a good experience for me, I would think for many reasons, but especially because um, at Fuller, you know, there are many different beliefs represented within Protestantism, uh, but one of the only requirements for professors there uh, back then was that you had to support women in ministry. So I didn't have, I didn't have that battle or that weirdness. Okay. Um, I immediately had it when I graduated and, and used to think that was bad preparation to not have to sort of not have any experience dealing with like discrimination and sexism. Oh, and okay. Like that. But now I look back and I, I've changed my mind. You know, I, I, so I'm so grateful that I had, it, I think it helped me to identify mm-hmm. for someone like me who is quick to blame myself and criticize myself. I think had I not thrived in service and in leadership and seen that I had some degree of competence, it needed to grow, of course, right? Like had a lot to learn, but that I wasn't, that I was suited for that line of service that when discrimination became more prevalent in my life, uh, I didn't immediately decide something was wrong with me and just leave. Yeah. So I'm really, so the, really grateful for that. Yeah. The, the encouragement you received, the, the foundation, the confidence that you were able to build in that time by it just like not being a thing yeah. you're saying was more important than if you knew how to fight the battles or knew there were battles or um, mm-hmm. that makes a, that makes a ton of, of sense to me. Um, yeah. I've yeah. often said that I, you know, I think what was hard about me for ministry and, and ultimately why it, I'm, I'm not one anymore. Like only did it for, for a decade or so. Um, it's because I don't think, and I don't know that this is the fault of, of my college or my seminary, but I don't think I was, was well prepared mm-hmm. or, or encouraged enough. Mm-hmm. Um, like it sounds mm-hmm. like you were, um, it felt like it was more about a lot of training about how to navigate minefields and how to, how to, uh, convince people and how to make arguments and how to lead a team or a business meeting or I don't like all of these things that feel a little bit can't think of a better word than like than like really earthy or, or like <laughs> low level practical kinds of things huh. uh, instead of instead of um really having having this sense of wonder and mystery and encouragement and um and, and being led by the spirit or so, so I, I that makes a ton of sense to me uh, and again, it's it's something I find myself being really grateful f- for you that that you had yeah. that kind of experience and, and foundation. Yeah, yeah. Well, and don't get me wrong. If we had plenty of time, there were. <laughs> I was not short on. I was not short on like hard things or challenges. Either. Yeah. Like I don't want to paint a false picture of like yes, Sam, my life had no yeah. problems back then or anything like that, but. But yes, 100 percent, this piece, I think I questioned when things around discrimination in particular got hard. I thought, man, I'm not prepared. I'm not prepared. And now that I 
have uh, lived more years, look back and I'm like, well, what would have prepared me? Like, man, at least I had reason to keep following, following, uh, following, following what I believe God called me into Mm -hmm. um, and didn't question that part. Um, Yeah. So yeah, I'm super grateful too. It makes me think a little bit too. I don't know if this is related or not, but it's it's on my mind. There's a uh, it's actually a quote on my on my wall here in, in my home office that I I found a few years ago and have up um, that that kind of relates to this in my mind. It's it's from Michael J. Fox in his autobiography, um, mm. but I heard it quoted by Jason Sudeikis one time. Like <laughs> Michael J. Fox said this thing once, and um, and Michael J. Fox. Uh, said like don't worry i looked this way but i just moved it like a week ago it's it's right over here it says don't spend a lot of time imagining the worst case scenario it rarely goes down as you imagine it will and if by some fluke it does you will have lived it twice um and i think about how much of um like how much worry and like concern there was for me or or being like Mm. kind of being trained to be a pessimist or like bad things are going to happen and tough things are going to happen and you've got to be ready for them. And here's how you'll react. Um, Mm -hmm. And some of those things didn't even end up happening. And I just think about all the time I like worried and and some of the things that did end up happening didn't look anything like I thought they would have. So I'd like wasted all this time and energy. Um, And it's, I think it's better to like have an open posture and a hopeful posture. Um, You know, it's kind of what I want to live like the back, the back half of my life or, or, or so like, so I, it feels yeah. like some of that was kind of maybe like built in. Yes. There were some challenges because they're going to always be challenges and there mm-hmm. were roadblocks and things that, that arose. You'll, you'll probably talk about some of those soon related to, to me your, or, or our work together over the, over the years. Like that wasn't always, you know, like roses and sunsets, but, um, what? <laughs> I, feel like, I mean, I should let you tell a story instead of me coloring it anyway. You were probably about to say those were the best three or four years of your life. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I, I understand some of what you're saying. Stand, you would need to be like, Gary, <laughs> <laughs> let's be truth tellers. <laughs> a shapeshifter has <laughs> taken control of Gary. Um, yeah, so I don't know if that was way off base or like way down, but like I, I think you probably could have spent a lot of time um, worrying, preparing mm-hmm. for things that maybe ultimately didn't happen or didn't look the exact way you would have thought they would happen. So I am sure that there are exceptions to this rule, but one of the most perhaps miraculous aspects of my life until my mid twenties was that generally I had incredible friends who would kind of just show up, you know, I guess school really helps with that um, or can. I was able to trust most of the people around me most of the time, parents, mentors, teachers, friends. And I had encouragement, um, not like constant, you know, not like blowing smoke, but, but I had people who were invested in, my development and my formation and and so sometimes i refer to you know the point of graduating fuller and then starting ministry as like quite a far fall and mm. and that's both good and bad looking back now right 
Um, so maybe an amplified version of what we were talking about with the discrimination thing that, um, I, I think I, I didn't know to worry. I didn't, I didn't know to worry that the ground beneath me might crumble. Um, and I think when some of the things in life that I thought would always be sturdy, went topsy-turvy later, um, that's when my journey began with kind of reconstructing what it means to have a sense of safety and to be hopeful in a way that considers that bad things can happen instead of just not realizing that they can. Yeah. Um, And I'm oversimplifying it. You know, you don't get to your mid-20s like completely without any. Yeah challenges. But on the whole, I think um, that that's, that is part of my narrative, you know, certainly one I've, I've had, I've processed in different ways over time. Um, But once I moved to Austin and started vocational ministry, um, I, I was in, such a different scenario where multiple relationships of all sorts of different kinds started breaking and I didn't know how to do vocational ministry. And uh, we were in challenging situations together around that. And, and it was like all this simultaneous, uh, you know, layer upon layer of kind of like these, interpersonal and storms and vocational storms. And uh, so I kind of feel like I went from like none of that to lots and lots of that all at once. It was a baptism mm-hmm. by fire kind of situation for adulting in, in that regard. Yeah. What does that, what does that look like? You know, as, as much as you want to share, I, I guess it's, you know, I'm really open to, to you talking at this point about what life has looked like in Austin. You're, mm-hmm, you're mm-hmm. still here now. You're a pastor in Austin currently, but mm-hmm. it's been, you know, I'm, I'm sure like quite a, a journey of what, 15 years or, or yeah. more that you've been, been here. So yeah. kind of you know, continue to continue to share um, what you've learned and, and what the path has, has looked like. Yeah. Um, Oh man, yeah, it's uh, it's been really good and hard and intense and uh, windy. You and I used to talk uh, when I first so I so when I came to Austin about six weeks in, you and Don invited me to fundraise to become an associate pastor at Mosaic, and I remember. Once I started working there, you and I talking about being a pastor at Mosaic might make you unfit to be a pastor somewhere else. Like it's such a mm. such a okay. specific context. And I think to sort of reinforce the theme of sort of like really great things and really hard things always being at once, I think that the way that Mosaic formed me as a pastor foundationally uh, I'm, I'm so deeply grateful for, I'm most comfortable 
and and would like to be most comfortable with people who are not as comfortable with religion. Um, I'm most comfortable thinking theologically about doing things different instead of like gimmicks that make things different. There's so much about the artistic and theological integrity of mosaic as an experiment and the community as, as an experiment, not that it's a unicorn. I mean, there are experiments going on all over the place, but, uh, but that the way, the way that I encountered mosaic was, um, was beautiful. I oftentimes expected gimmicks and I did not find mosaic to be like your same traditional church, but where people had tattoos, like, you know, and guitars or whatever, you know, like there was something more substantial going on there that I'm so grateful to have learned to do ministry in that environment. And, um, it was, I mean, I'm just going to say stuff that you know already, Sam. Right? Go ahead. I'm. It's taking everything I've got to not like apologize already for that statement. Like, I don't remember ever telling you that or saying that, but I honestly, like, it may have been helpful to you. I hate the way it sounds. Like, I, I feel like nothing but like ego and to, to hear that. Like, so, so you go ahead, but and you say anything because there's nothing that I, I, I think there's probably nothing you couldn't say that either I don't already feel or have taken ownership of, or want to take ownership of, and and Don's the same way. Th- wow. This is your time. You say what you want to say. Sure. But I already think like, oh my God, the arrogance of that Imagine. statement of like, and, and the unhealthiness that that probably betrays with where we were at the time for me to say like, sure. yeah, once you've, once we've done this, it kind of ruins you for everywhere else. Like, what are, oh, go, okay, you go ahead. Well, there were, there were, I I maintain that there were good things about, I mean, I work with lots of pastors now and have for about a decade now. And, um, and I'm aware, like one of my really good friends, who's a, a, a wonderful supporter of the church lab, you know, we, we joke about like, he does an outstanding job at his job and I am not fit to be, the pastor of University Presbyterian. I love, I've spent time there. I love the community there. I love supporting them and helping them for their expression of church. But it's not, that's, that's not like my home game. Right. Uh-huh. And, and so, it, so I do really mean to say that there, there is this sort of like body of Christ, even among <laughs> like ministers, there are things that, that I'm more well suited to that Matt isn't and vice versa and all in between, you know, uh, and so, so in that regard, uh, I, I think that's, I'm thankful for mosaic, but yeah. Um, oh goodness. Uh, yeah. It sucked. It sucked a lot. That's more like it. <laughs> people are, <laughs> are going to hear this and be like, well, she's laughing quite a lot, but just to be clear, whoever's listening, Sam and I have talked about this like uh, a million knows? times. How many dozens of hours? Million uh, times, yeah. In so, the last decade, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not like saying something new, and it's not awkward laughter. It's like actually <laughs> funny to me now in yes. some ways. Yeah. Um, also, if anybody hears swigs of anything, I have been drinking Dr. <laughs> Pepper. So if anyone's like, "Is she okay?" <laughs> yeah, it's, it's caffeine. It's not a. <laughs> it's a stimulant. It's not a, a, a depressant. That's right. Well, anybody so, that knows you really well too knows that 
that, that yeah. it's either going to be water or Dr. Pepper. Like it's, yeah. you're not, you're not downing a um, single malt scotch <laughs> over there. That's right. I couldn't even identify it actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I said the right thing. I don't know if there, I think that's a thing. Single malt scotch. Neither one of us are. I, I have light <laughs> beer in the fridge downstairs. So that's, we're, we're we both a little out of our element. Where we talk, like we just like talk shop about things. We don't know anything about. Yeah. We just insert jargon. Um, okay, so um, hmm, what's the most succinct but but still meaningful way to talk? Yeah, yeah. It, I guess I would. I mean, maybe what makes the most sense would be for you to instead of going through like all the details. I'm happy. It's fine for you to do that. But like maybe like when you think about those years now like mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. at, when you look back on that time you know yeah um if that makes yeah. more sense for you or is easier to kind of encapsulate than than trying to do like yeah like chronology or post-mortem mm-hmm. i guess it would be the, the phrase yeah i think i had no idea what it meant to be the first female uh mm. pastor not only at mosaic but like among the family of churches that we were right like Oh Fox yeah, and mustard seed, and at some point servant. But Abby was came along with servant, um, and that was later. But like, I don't think I had any clue what that meant, and I did not have a a conception of of and and so I didn't have a conception of like how to navigate it because I didn't even think of it as anything but kind of this like interest this is sort of oh yeah and by the way um so that i i had a whole toolkit to even learn i needed much less get some tools for uh back then i uh mosaic was deeply dysfunctional you might have heard yep <laughs> and um and i i have I haven't thought about this in a while but i usually use the phrase that I was an accidental whistleblower at hmm. some point and that I, um, very imperfectly. I haven't, I haven't heard you say that before. So I, I definitely want to know what you, Oh, interesting. What you mean by that? There's, there's, there were things that I intentionally named and protested uh, with you and Don that did not go well mm-hmm. and 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 it was from there that um, I was that it was made clear to me that I might be fired and that I owed you mm-hmm. guys and well, we don't have to go into that stuff anyway, but like that there were that I owed people apologies and that I would not be talked to. And yeah, there was just a, it was a really painful, a really painful time of not realizing what I was, the implications of what I was doing, but then also, um, not being treated so great in the wake of it and mm. um and it not being open and all being like a secret and me not having a community 
to help support me through it. I was very alone. And so, yeah, there was just a lot of pain and, 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 and so I also learned a lot about, man, I learned lots and lots of things looking back, uh, things about like what, environment to look out for and what questions to ask when I'm looking for, you know, when I'm looking at ministry work about my own communication dynamics and ways to communicate and not communicate what workplace secrets are helpful and what, where, you know, the sort of what degree of transparency is helpful or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so that when, so when you say, like, when you use the, the word whistleblower or unintentional whistleblower, I, I think I understand more now. You're saying like you were, you were witness to, or you were the first, like you saw the red flags. You called out things that were were red flags or were unhealthy, and you felt like you paid a price for that mm-hmm. by naming mm-hmm. those things. Okay. All right. mm-hmm. And was and was told that I that that's what was happening at mm. the time. Um, okay. Yeah. I, um, I I understand that. I I I see what you mean by that. Um. And I and I am sorry. Again, no, I'm sorry. Um. Word. Yeah. I appreciate that. And it. it yeah. A. It. It wasn't. It was a system. Right. And it was all of us, and it wasn't like, "Hey, Sam, you did this thing, you know." But I'm the like, one talking to you right now. Like I'm the one the that one sees, right sees you right yeah. now. And yes, other people need to say they're sorry too if they haven't. And <laughs> and the whole ship probably needed to go down, and eventually did. But you and I are talking right now, and anytime sure. you talk about this or share these kinds of things. I think I'll always say I'm sorry. No, um, well, so thank so you. Um, thank you. Okay. Um, when I just want to say, just because I want to be sure that this doesn't get lost, that our friendship is such a testament to your character, to your integrity, to both of our uh, willingness and investment to repair, not repair like, oh, I said something weird yesterday, but like really repair uh, chasms worth of, of, yeah. of hard things. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. Um, like I'm obviously not perfect either. I did not navigate that like, you know, perfectly either. And, and uh and I just, yeah, I just feel like life is so much more about repair and, um, yeah. And so I just, I want that to be named in this too, you know, yeah. look at it. We're talking to each, it's 2023. Like this right. is really great. It's really wonderful. I was going to say the same thing. Like we've, we have known each other three or four times longer yeah, as friends and like continued friends as we did working together in a tough situation in a tough situation yeah, um, yeah. and so I, th- I think you're right and and we both yeah we, we both have have worked at that and have continued to to pursue each other and pursue repair um yeah so th- that goes both ways 
I to sort of close the loop on mosaic yeah. just continues to feel like both really terrible and then really awesome. You know, like there are there are people from mosaic who are still tight knit with each other. Um, some in some in really healthy ways um, to this day, and you yeah. know that like those impacts, there was damage done, but there's also like ripple effects untold that that God has for sure used in these beautiful ways. You know that like yeah. regardless of how how I don't know, it just seems like both are prominent in the world of mosaic. Um, well, we both are still currently, like you said earlier, like we both are still people of faith and, and yeah. have continued down no, no matter yeah. how bleak things ever got for me or how confused mm-hmm. I've, I've been or angry I've been like, um, and that's not, that's not on me. Like that, that's something miraculously graciously that, that God has, has done in, in my life, I think. But yeah. what that means is we like believe that that God's always redeeming and like binding yes. up what's broken and, and making all things new. And yeah. so, so we can look back on that time and see a lot of um, so cliche, but like a lot of, a lot of beautiful flowers and, and growth yeah. and, and green that have come up from the very fertile ground that was manured by bad decisions um, yeah. and, and brokenness. <laughs> so yeah, that's what yeah. God does. And, and absolutely. And, and just one more comment. Had I been in your position and I really mean this, I think I would have done exactly what you did, you know, and I wasn't there for those couple of years other than like staying in touch with you and some others. I wasn't like in the loop with some of the, the tougher details, but I, I have a hard time thinking that I would have made a different choice than you made had I been in Mm. your shoes. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not, yeah, I left because the situation sort of like didn't provide a scenario to stay, um, in a way that was healthy for the congregation. And so I I do think it was the right choice, but also it was like, I was in a different position than you. No, the options felt different. And, and so I just, I don't think it was like, and I'm not that this is what you're saying, but just to be clear, yeah. I don't think it was like, well, Carrie made a healthy choice and Sam like made the bad choice. Well, yeah. I just think I would have done what you did. I, anyway. That's I, that's interesting. I mean, that's helpful to hear. The very first thing I, I think of is, does that have anything to do with you uh, being a, a one on the Enneagram and me being a three? Like we both, we're just, <laughs> we're both people that would have kept our hands like tightly yeah. wrapped around the, the wheel. <laughs> Uh, yeah. and and i can i can fix this damn it um yeah yeah but and you know so, it's also interesting it's really encouraging and affirming to hear you recognize the story of of my work since then and where i've gotten to serve as beautiful i i agree with you but it got a lot worse before it got better okay and yeah. in the interest of time you know, I don't need to like sit in each chapter of that, but just to be really clear, it was not like I walked off into the sunset yeah. and was like, now I'm going to do fun, beautiful, right. healthy ministry. It was like, I went in, I went into uh, a, a situation that was like good for me. Um, 
for a little bit and then I went into an unhealthy situation and then I was in an abusive situation and and all in there was learning uh sometimes new advanced versions of lessons of mm-hmm. um what what would be helpful in ministry and healthy and what would not and and so much of my passion about helping pastors and future faith leaders now um, is related to the toolkit and the exposure to really bad, really good and all in between environments and learning how to, to walk with people who are in those stories. Cause right. I've, I have a lot of empathy. I don't always have, identical experiences, but I, man, do I sure know some very different types of environments that you can end up in ministry. And so I think it's come to my aid in that way alongside the more fun, um, well, fun for me. I don't think everybody finds it fun, but the sort of future of faith practice, whereas, whereas spiritual growth going in the United States as people sprint away from institutions, you know, helping faith leaders with that, um, is super exciting and life-giving, but it goes hand in hand with how they're treated and how they navigate contexts that are even more filled with fear or panic. Uh, And, uh, but still have just as much potential for, um, and presence of God's work and beauty and all this stuff. Um, I'm kind of skipping around, but I'll, but, but like I said, more so in the interest of time, I ended up doing, you know, denominational consulting and secret shopping for like Methodist churches and uh, was a program director at Austin Seminary, Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary, did like cohorts of seminarians related to faith and money. Then I started doing pastor's cohorts and somewhere in there, or I should say all along in there, I was facilitating dialogue, period. Like from the moment I started in California and moved to Austin while I was at Mosaic, I was always facilitating dialogue just separately. And eventually the dialogue group emerged as this really incredible experiment in spiritual growth for people of different belief systems and for people who have no belief system, or I should say they do have no particular faith commitment. Right. And uh, I realized that, what I had been doing all those years was an experiment in the future of faith practice and spiritual growth and had its own dynamic and lessons for the changes we're experiencing. And so I found that I was pastoring a non-traditional community on accident almost. And so then I had started doing it on purpose and started doing other experiments and empowering other people interested in non-traditional ministry to do experiments. And then over some years, started working with pastors and lay leaders and churches on where the future is going, what they have to do with what God is unfolding in the future of faith practice and trying to make Jesus more important than money as usual. Mm. Always, There's no shortage of that work. Uh, and Jesus more important than, you know, fear and panic over saving buildings and things like that. Um. And so, yeah, now I've church jobs 10 years old. We just celebrated our 10th anniversary. Super, super excited about that. Great. Congratulations. Yeah. 
it's uphill. It's isolating like a lot of ministry. It's, it's very challenging all the time and it's healthy and beautiful and meaningful. And some days I'm like, what am I doing? (laughs) You know? And then other days I'm like, I can't believe how lucky I am. You know, Mm -hmm. both of those days exist a lot of the time. And, but there's, there's a sense of call that's very consistent, the consistent, the, the through line, you know, with, with all of that. Um, I don't know if that's like a, <laughs> a good summary or if that's, I'm yeah, trying to, yeah. I'm like, and I'm I, like trying to think of like, what's the, the most succinct way of. Yeah. I, I, any of that that you would want to expound upon would, would be fine. But I also know that um, some days, I mean, I think what's interesting about this is that, some days we tell our story differently than we would yeah. on another day um, or in another season. And like today for either because you're thinking some about time or other things that have to do or, or because it's like, this is the, these are the things to focus on today, or these are the things that are on my mind um, today. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes maybe you want to take 30 minutes to talk about one year. And other times you may want to take one minute to talk about 10 years. Like I've, <laughs> when I've told my own story, I know there've been those, those like yeah. patterns that seem divergent. Um, I guess what, and this may be an opportunity for you to talk more about some of that or some of what you've learned or tried, but I, I guess maybe like thinking about the, in the direction of, of landing or wrapping up, mm-hmm. um, kind of, kind of where you are now or where you see, you talked about like that you're trying to help people figure out the future of, of mm-hmm. faith and, um, you know, at least in North America and, and the church and, um, and I know that that has to go like hand in hand with you processing your own life and your own story and all that it's entailed. Um, and then, and like what you perceive as maybe being next for you, um, the things you're excited about, the things you're hopeful for, the things you're still curious about and yeah. and aren't sure about, or don't know what the path is yet. Kind of where are we in the present? Yeah. Oh goodness. I just made a, like a long list of, goals the other day and and that's very like me um I usually have more goals than I should at a time and I but I like playing with them and where do the timelines go and how do they fit together what's interesting is like as it's true that I usually have too many goals like I want to run this many miles this year or I want to like you know, play with a band, do it, you know, at this place this year, whatever it might be. Um, I find that like at this stage in my life, my goals ha- ha- take a backseat to sort of bigger uh, goals of the kind of person I want to be, mm-hmm. you know, like, all of the too many goals really are just sort of in service to how I want to be formed. And perhaps that's what it was before. I don't know. But at this stage, it's very explicitly that way. You know, like, 
I want to be a really, really good friend to people in my life. Yeah. I want to be an, I want to be like an excellent sister and aunt and daughter. And Mm. I want to be really good to my dog. You know, she's getting older. Like those are the things that I just find myself. I want to like, I want to nurture my faith life. I want to always be in the midst of becoming uh, a a little bit more deeper, you know, in my uh, faith practice and experiences than I was, you know, the week before. Um, And that can look like lots of things, right? But, But those are the sorts of things that I find myself wanting to like hitch my wagon to. And then the the other goals sort of feel like, and these are good things that hopefully kind of help me toward like this character building stuff. And maybe that sounds very Mr. Rogers, although like I'm totally great with that. Yeah. Now that I hear that come out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I also identify it as like kind of a life stage thing, you know, like, okay. right. Like I'm, yeah. The things that the things that come to mind are not like I want to start a nonprofit. It's like um, I want to like be I want to like do something cool for my nephew's birthday. Yeah, <laughs> I want him yeah. to feel loved and seen. And how can I contribute to that? And and uh, yeah, and how do you make concrete goals that match that? Anyway, so that's been on my mind a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Um, more. Uh, just for kicks, uh, nobody will be surprised. Like AI, I'm like really, really like tickled by. And even the story I told at the top of okay. this yeah. podcast about whether it's like generating images, but then also thinking about how this affects artists and musicians. Yeah. and But then also like this guy in town just... Uh, a lot of people who've been asking questions about doing AI services, like, could you yeah. do an AI service? And so this guy last week did one. Yeah, I read and, that. I wondered if you had seen that or, or knew them. Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. 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 Like I'm, uh, these are the sorts of conversations that I find really, really uh, fascinating right now. And because I'm interested in the future of faith practice, like there's the, like, how do you get fear and panic out of the room and kind of try to follow Jesus before your own, like, panic or if you're not religious how do you like um find safe spaces to explore and like build depth and specificity to your own spiritual life like that's that's like the sort of like pastoral work that i'm usually in in my own experiments uh so to speak but this stuff is just i think a lot of people might be feel threatened by it but for me it's just it's fun nobody knows right now nobody knows and yeah so I've been encouraging pastors to be really imaginative and we've been talking about books we've read in the past that have given us like positive or negative associations with artificial intelligence. And we've talked a lot about like how science often uh, follows science fiction, right? Like the imagination sort of precedes the use. Right. Uh, but of course with big developments like this, uh, the military usually you know, his first in line uh-huh. for utility. Anyway, this is not a podcast about AI, obviously, but <laughs> these are the sort of, you know, like I That's like our, ne- I like, our next podcast. We're, we're going to start up. <laughs> yeah. We'll solve it. We'll yeah. solve it. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, so there's the sort of like personal thing and then there's the just interesting things that show up um, that affect TCL and that are just interesting as a person. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, um, man, I always, I'm really hoping to like continue to fulfill travel goals. Um, and I, sometimes it takes me a long time to save money to do that, but travel is like my very, very favorite thing. So, um, uh, I've had a little bit of a mechanical mutiny at my house this summer. Um, hopefully if that settles down, then I can eventually travel again. Are you thinking about traveling again? (laughs) What's the, do do you, are you the kind of person that has like one next goal for travel or you've got three to five Mm -hmm. places and you're not sure which you're like, where would you hope to, to be able to go next? Yeah. New Zealand is like the big one South Island, like a South Island backpacking trip, but Patagonia is close and, uh, South Africa used to be top of that list, but then the trip I wanted to go on got canceled the pandemic and I haven't found one that, yeah. And then domestically, I I really like to go make my way to national parks. I was very generously just, um, put on a trip to Glacier National Park last month. And that was like a bucket list. Okay. Amazing trip. I have been trying to get to the Grand Canyon the last like three years and it has yet to materialize. So, um, you've never been there at all or you're wanting to, okay. Me neither. Me neither. Yeah. So we need to, we need to go to the Grand Canyon. I mean, this is, yeah. What are we doing? Why are we even talking right now? sometimes uh these end much more practically than others like they're um sometimes they're very vague and what does the re- next step look like or but for us i mean we've got it nailed you know. down now yeah yeah exactly uh, <laughs> start um i'm sure kim and the kids will be on board we'll just figure out like a, maybe a big rv situation or something we'll have three dogs between <laughs> the two families uh no big deal yeah, should no be fine deal. yeah um, well, um, anything, uh, it's, it's a weird question to ask. Cause I know that we were jumping around a lot. I usually like to say like, is there anything we didn't cover or anything you feel like is mm-hmm. very important or that you're like, you would want people to know, or that you feel like is a, a part of your story, um, that, that's worth us returning to, or do you mm-hmm. feel like, um, knowing that we left some, some big movements out or that you glossed over some things, do you feel like it's, um, it's good for today or good for this version. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there's a million things, but also how can you talk about your whole life and right? Like whatever came up today, I'm sure is what needed to come up. The only thing that, that comes to mind is um, I really like Brene Brown's values checklist. I do it with Uh like my board and my contractors and, I think it like is interesting to hear about people sort of if they have to narrow down two from a long list. I don't know if you've done it before. It's like this super long list of values and you can write in your own. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think I've heard myself sort of indirectly refer to this in the themes of our talk today, which is that when I've forced myself to do that exercise, I always come back to, the two values of joy and wisdom 
And I think hmm. in my, my life as a whole and in my sense of call to serve with the church lab, um, there's something, and we've been talking about this in essence, right? There's something to the idea that wholeheartedness and flourishing, like as children of God, that doesn't reach out for like a superficial happiness or like an, yeah. a, a, a willful denial of what's broken, but gains sort of wisdom from walking with God um, and ex- experiencing the love of God and looking, you know, death in the face, looking brokenness in the face, looking hardship uh, in the face and extrapolating wisdom and joy from all of what life makes up, like all of, you know, I talk about this with dialogue as sort of a random parallel that like in dialogue, you learn to not ask your neighbor to check part of themselves at the door. Right. We're saying, yeah, we're really different in some really tough ways. We're learning to love all of who our neighbor is. And I feel like there's something about what's come up today and the way that I'm understanding or thinking about life seems these days. That's like, I really love this idea of exercising a deep abiding joy with whatever may be right. And, and, and learning wisdom with whatever may be in front of us, the really being able to take the good for what it is and come to terms with the hardship all the same and all at once, you know? Yeah. But where you wound up landing there, like talking through that um, to bring up my quote wall again, uh, which I'm I'm looking at here. One of the ones I have that's very relevant to what you just shared. And I think maybe like a a good way to to end here is with another like big thought of hers, um, which Mm. is when, when we deny the story, it defines us. When we own the story, we can write a brave new ending. Um, Wow. And that's really what I think you were were talking about there is like we we get a choice in how we tell our story and how we interpret that story and and even what what the story is that we're wanting to continue to write like the the book isn't finished on our life on our yeah. stories yeah. um and so thinking about like yeah well here here's what the narrative has been so far. Here are the parts of the narrative I'm reclaiming or like re recasting. Mm-hmm. And here's what I'm hoping the the rest of it looks like. Um, yeah. I think yeah. that is really beautiful to, to think about. Um, yeah. That it's like that interpret word means, means a lot to me yeah. that like, it's not all as it's unfolding. Some of it we write and some of it, <laughs> some of it, I'm not sure. That we write. So the parts that are out of our control, right? There's, there's still this, like, how do we see it? How do we engage with, how do we engage with it? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well said you, well said Jason Sudeikis about Michael J. Fox <laughs> and also Sandra Bullock <laughs> randomly who I love every so often I'll watch this high school graduation. She like 
spoke at in New Orleans like years ago where she okay. also talks about this stuff. Like the oh. things you worry about won't happen. Oh, okay. Maybe other things. And like sometimes if I need to like really like yeah. find a pep talk, I'll like just Google central. <laughs> but it's it's like the same theme. Uh as I'll have to go find that. Deal. Yeah. 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 I mean anyway. that's the that's the yeah. Wisdom comes from a lot of different places. It's so true. So yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I, uh, um, a lot of, a lot of my wisdom, uh, and, and the things I reflect on life or think about life, um, a, a whole lot of it does come from you and friendship with you and partnership with you as, as broken and strange as parts of it were. Um, yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm so grateful that you did come to Austin and our paths did cross and, and that our stories have continued to be intertwined that it wasn't just there wasn't just this x point where we uh where our stories crossed each other and it was nothing but pain and confusion and trauma and drama and um and that we're like and that we're like footnotes in each other's brains or each other's stories for the rest of life that you just think think badly about (laughs) i'm glad that that is not where we find ourselves now friend um and i'm grateful for you um, very grateful for your story and your willingness to to be transparent and and vulnerable and honest uh, about so much of it. And um, I hope I, I thank you for the time and and I hope you have a a good rest of the day and and week. And we'll figure out a way to to see each other in person really soon. Yeah, no, that sounds great. I, I'm so grateful too, Sam. Like we've both had other stages of our journey since we worked together not just with each other, but with other people who like sometimes when we're going, you know, when I've gone through conflict or hardship, sometimes those folks have dug in and wanted to figure it out. And sometimes they don't. Mm. And uh, for my personality, that's, I'm like, please don't leave this undone. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. But, but more, more importantly than that thing that I have to work on inside of myself <laughs> Um, is my just yeah a deep gratitude to you and for you for our friendship and and the the repair we've done, but also the ability to enjoy each other. Yeah, right. Like not just like oh look, there's my friend. We like had a fight once and figured it out. Like, but yeah. also have been able to uh, enjoy a friendship and 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 share stories with each other sometimes. Yeah. on podcasts and sometimes at dinner tables and and right. I'm so grateful that you are using your gifts in this way right now. Um oh, thanks. Yeah, I acted and <laughs> and shared with more people in new ways. So thank you for letting me be a part of this. Yeah. Well, thanks for always being willing and and being a, a supporter and an encourager. Um yeah. Well, hope the rest of your day goes well that there're no mechanical issues at your house and uh well, I'll I'll see you sometime soon, Carrie. Sounds great. Thank you, Sam. Bye. Bye, friend. Hi, it's Sam, and I've got one more thing before we end. Uh, You've heard how these talks go now. And so if you're interested in finding time with me to have a story so far session of your own, check out oakroots.net and book a time for yourself. I hope to talk with you soon.